Welcome to the LSB Marketing Podcast, where we kick back over beverages and examine what's trending in the advertising and marketing world. Pull up a chair, grab a drink, and let's chat. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the LSB Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Todd LeBeau, and today we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to our hearts here at LSB, and that's influencer marketing. My guest today is uh, someone who knows a lot about influencer marketing. She's spent her entire career in, in the world of PR and working with influencer marketing. This is uh, Amy Rohn. Welcome, Amy. Hello, Todd. So, Amy, you head up our PR group here at LSB. You've been doing influencer marketing um, for, a, for a long time. Um, you know quite a bit about the topic. I guess the first question I have to ask you is, what are you drinking? <laughs> <laughs> what am I drinking? Well, today we are having a white blend from South Africa. Nice. Very crisp and lovely on a warm warm summer day. A little Chenin Blanc, mm. Chardonnay, and Vignet. Nice. So, and what's yeah. the name? Curator. Curator. Which is really kind of an interesting name considering we're going to be talking about contents and influencers wow. developing and curating content. So It's almost like that was planned, but it wasn't. But it really wasn't. It really wasn't. There you go. So tell me, um, influencer marketing, ginormous topic. Um, there's a lot to cover. Can you kind of start at the high level? So when we when we talk about influencer marketing, what do you think of? Well, I think the first thing I want to debunk is this notion that influencer marketing is something new. Those of us in PR have been borrowing equity from influencers and celebrities since since the dawn of PR, really. That's, you know, whether it's getting the, gaining the influence of an editor or using a celebrity, paying a celebrity mm-hmm. to be a spokesperson in, in a press release or in a news release or something like that. So... It's what we're talking about is the same thing, really borrowing the equity, the popularity, the influence of a certain population to get your message out. Nowadays, of course, it's not just celebrities, it's not just athletes, and it's not just media. It could be, depending on the target you're trying to reach, you know, different YouTubers, Instagrammers, um, folks on Snapchat who have a big following among a certain target audience that your brand is trying to reach. So in the last podcast, we talked a lot about the, you know, the elements of a modern marketing campaign and influencer mar- marketing certainly plays a role in that. But something we like to say here at LSB, why, why does it matter? Why does uh, influencer marketing matter these days? Well, I think the, the name itself, influencer marketing, is really what gives the answer to that away is that <clears throat> what we're trying to do as marketers is influence a certain target audience to do something. I maybe as a marketer don't have that clout. Maybe there's a cynical audience that doesn't believe in, you know, messaging from marketers, but I will listen to something that my favorite YouTuber has to say. I will consider a product that my favorite athlete is endorsing. So I think it really is an extension of a lot of different marketing. To your point, it's it's a part of a modern marketing campaign, mm-hmm. but it doesn't stand alone, certainly. So are there different types of influencers? Can you talk a little bit about that, the different varieties that may be out there? Absolutely. Certainly celebrity influencers are the big ones that came to mind. The big names, celebrities, you know, these are people who will, you know, send out a tweet for four $40,000 endorsing your product. Not everyone has the budget or frankly the need for that. If you're really looking at who your target is, your influencer could be a health or nutrition professional who has a blog that has the audience you're trying to reach. If you're a pharmaceutical with a new drug trying to reach a diabetic patient, your influencer looks very different than the influencer if you're a shoe marketer trying to reach um, you know, kids in a skate park. So you mentioned budget. Mm-hmm. Um, is this a high budget, low budget? conversation that you're having? It, you know, it ranges. We do influencer programs for our clients at at every budget level. I think obviously the results in terms of how many people you're reaching is going to vary. You know, it's a fact of marketing. I can reach more people if I have more dollars. I think the question we have to ask ourselves is what does that extra reach get us or are reaching the right people at a lower budget? So yes, you can do influencer marketing programs for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. 
Um, look at what's happening in the, in the Olympics right now. Coca-Cola, NBC, they are all, they all have influencer marketing sure. programs and they're all spending a lot of money. Most marketers aren't spending that much in their influencer marketing programs, but they do have um, really hardworking influencer sure. networks and programs. So we like to think of it as, uh, we could split it into two, right? So you have influencers, um, but there are paid influencers and there can be non-paid influencers. Is that true? Absolutely. So so talk a little bit about those. Many of the influencers that we work with, work with us in, in exchange for product or promotion. They want to be associated with a brand mm-hmm. that we're working with. You know, in some cases, we will reach out to a number of influencers on behalf of a client, try to narrow down to, you know, where we want to invest are our dollars but in the course of doing that we're sending products to a number of influencers for that introduction and some of what we'll find is that in and of itself is enough to get these influencers advocating or writing sometimes they just want to host a giveaway for their readers provide a value to their readers so Mm -hmm. They can host a giveaway with your product. The only thing, you know, the only thing the marketer is out then is the cost of additional product. And so we know that, you know, the influencers are they're writing a blog post or they're they're posting to social media. It could be any any variety of those uh, those types of communications. Is there a way to amplify their message? And and is that is that or should that be a part of any influencer campaign? It's it's critical actually, and we something this amplification is something we build into all of our influencer campaigns, and we build into the budgets. Um, so for instance we will be working with a blogger on behalf of a nutritional product who's going to write and advocate for the product talk about their experience with it put it into some relevant context in their blog they're you know then required by by contract to amplify it on their own social channels but then we on behalf of the marketers are spending money supporting those supporting those posts and and getting more eyeballs on them that's where the targeting really comes in because we can go in through their social media channels and promote a post to exactly the right audience we want to be talking to, thereby ensuring that we're getting more eyeballs and the right eyeballs on mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it all sounds really interesting. And you know you know, I love the topic because we, we talk about it quite frequently. I'm wondering if you have a favorite, if you have something that, that comes to mind for, for uh, one that you've seen recently that, that you really enjoyed looking at the content and kind of how that influencer has interacted with their audience. Well, I think one of the ones I've seen recently, whether it's a favorite or not, but something that compelled me recently was a Toll House, Nestle Toll House, because mm-hmm. who doesn't like chocolate chip right. cookies, right? What they've done, and we talk about having an influencer program being part of your marketing initiative, not necessarily the whole thing, but what they've done is they've taken over, in terms of, of baking and, and cookies specifically, they've taken over YouTube with a with an owned property, their own channel and original programming. Mm-hmm. But they also have influencers creating a lot of content. Anywhere you're searching for or looking on YouTube for cookie recipes, you're either going to find their own content in, mm-hmm. the, in their uh, in the, the original programming they're doing or some of their influencer-generated content. And then there's a lot of cross-pollination because when we think about the content the influencers are creating, we're also going to use that in, in our owned media. We're going to use it potentially in our, in our earned media. If it's a food client and it's recipes we now have the rights to or photography we have the rights to or endorsement that we have the rights to, because mm-hmm. that's built into the contract, we might share that with editorial media and mm-hmm. use it in our earned channels as well. And then there's a paid component on that as well, because right. now we, like you say, we own that content. We can use it however however we see fit. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm curious about an ongoing relationship and the importance of, of that in influencer marketing. You know, there are a variety of different ways to, to have outreach to influencers and to establish the relationships, sometimes with just 
a small campaign window, sometimes with something you want to help build a brand ambassador type program. Can you talk a little bit about the differences of those and your experience there? Yeah, we do both of those, even on behalf of a single client. For example, one of our clients, a household product, we have four or five bloggers who we have an ongoing relationship with. We have contracted to post certain times of the year. They know our products well. They do giveaways. We provide them with product throughout the year to talk about. But for our key campaign drive times, whether it's a Q4 promotion, um, holiday, that kind of thing, we will do a broader program um, with more influencers, but for a very defined time frame with a very defined goal in mind. You know, I'm wondering, is it tough to reach out to influencers? Because I got to imagine there's, you know, every brand under the sun, as well as their agencies are all trying to reach out to these influencers. And, you know, everybody wants to have the, the person who's got a million people following him on their blog. And, and you know, they have all these Facebook and, and, and Twitter fans. You know, everybody wants to reach with reach those people. What are some of the the ways that you go about reaching out to these people and establishing relationships? Again, uh, multiple ways. And and in a lot of ways, what you just described, these are busy people. They're hard to reach. There are a lot of people trying to reach them and pitch them. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing PR professionals have been doing, you know, for decades with earned media, pitching a busy editor. I mean, mm-hmm. this is just essentially what we're doing. These these influencers have a media property, whether mm-hmm. they would call it that themselves or not. From a marketer standpoint, that's what they have. And oftentimes, they're you know will work with an outside partner who has panels of influencers at their disposal. Um, but for some clients, we're really doing what I would call hand to hand combat, identifying exactly the right influencer um, who has the right message, who's relevant to what we're talking about. This is someone who may not appear on you know someone's influencer panel, one of the big influencer agencies, but someone who makes a lot of sense for a particular client for a given reason. So we do both kind of that hand-to-hand digging as well as going through uh, some influencer marketing agencies and, and have had success both ways. So talk to me about ways to do it right and ways to do it wrong. And, and have you seen uh, examples of both of those? Sure. I, th- I think my number one way to do it wrong, watch out, would be gratuitous use of celebrities mm-hmm. or, or gratuitous use of a high profile person just for the sake of eyeballs. If they don't fit your brand, if they don't share the values of your brand and your target, that's going to be visible right away. The person's not going to care about what it is they are tweeting. And there's a number of examples. Um, one of my favorites is Scott Disick of Kardashian fame, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it was a, um, I think a, a smoothie, a smoothie shake that he was working with. And he literally copied and posted the instructions from his influencer marketing firm into his Instagram post. So what did it say? It pretty much said, hey, Scott, post <laughs> this at four o'clock with a picture of you with your shake. Right. And then it had the, the verbatim of what he was supposed to post. So that's great. That's that's someone you maybe don't want working for your brand. Sure. The uh, question I have, because you just kind of brought it up, was to, to see the effectiveness. And so that, that naturally leads my head to go to reporting and measurement. And and so how does how does that play a, a factor in, into how you engage, you select and engage influencers, and then ultimately come back to your, your brand and marketing partners and say, hey, this thing works, or hey, that didn't quite work the way we thought, and we may want to turn the dials if we do it again next time. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, like any marketing initiative that we would enter with, a, we would work with a client on, setting out those objectives, understanding and getting agreement and alignment on what they are at the outset is going to go a long way to helping, A, helping frame the right program, and B, being able to tell if that was a success or not. One of the nice things about influencer marketing, because it is digital, there is 
opportunity for some midstream corrections. So if you're tracking this, you know, in real time, mm -hmm. and you're able to get some early indicators that it is or isn't working, you could push the pedal a little more and support it more or course correct and go a different direction. So I think that's, you know, that's true of a lot of digital media that we mm -hmm. work with our, with, our, with our clients on. So, but reporting is key. And that's one of the nice things about these influencers is the sophisticated ones are able to share the metrics with you. And that's something you're going to mm -hmm. want as you're, as you're evaluating your influencers, what metrics can they give you? Um, obviously, some of them are going to be very visible the number of people that are following them on social media, um, the number of views and, and mm -hmm. unique visitors on their blog posts. But once we get into things like engagement or some more behind the scenes things, like um, if you're doing a giveaway or a contest of some sort, being able to get all those metrics from the influencer is going to be critical because those are the numbers that you're going to need to report. So let's, I want to take this opportunity to kind of jump into the nitty gritty and, and kind of kind of map out how how somebody who maybe is new to influencer marketing or maybe it's just kind of dip their toe in it but they want to do do a little bit more of it let's kind of start at the beginning how would you decide yeah you know is this right for me again I would start with the goals and then I would look at what the other marketing initiatives that are being put into place are I wouldn't I, I don't think it's a question of are we doing influencer marketing or not I think it's a question of what does our marketing ecosphere look like and where does influencer marketing fit in mm -hmm. Yeah, we mentioned in the in the last podcast uh, uh, we were talking a lot about the modern marketing campaign and the and the uh, the channel planning exercise that we do. Seems like that's a perfect place to, to add that to the mix and say, hey, how would we reach our consumers at any given point in time across their their path to purchase, and can influencers influence them at that point in time? And that that's I, I, I'm hearing you say that that's that's exactly how we would start. And it might look very different for a durable good like a, a lawnmower or a dishwasher mm -hmm. than it does for some makeup or a fashion item. Sure. Yeah. Um, the, the consideration tree is is certainly a lot longer and as a more considered purchase I just think that the influencer marketing might might be different it might be more on the research side than it is on the activation sure. side of that spectrum makes sense so okay so now we've decided all right you know what as a part of awareness or a part of um, in the introduction of a new product or or maybe it's a, a kind of refreshing the brand a little bit we decide influencer marketing is where it's at and so we're gonna make some outreach to some folks um, where do you take it from there? First of all, it's setting up the, the goals and messages, what you want those messages to be. I think you have to prep the influencer that you're going to reach out to with kind of ready-made materials that are going to make it easy for them. You want it in their voice. You want it to be authentic, but you also want them armed with some of the key messages that the brand wants to get across. Mm -hmm. And a good influencer will be able to weave those in in a very authentic way. The influencer is, is their own brand, and it's in their interest to... Uh, remain authentic to their readership and to not alienate their readership and sound like a marketing machine. So as a marketer, we have to understand they're not going to parrot everything we want them to, but working with the with the good influencers, they're going to be able to get in the messages we want them to in a real way that's not mm -hmm. going to alienate their audience. Okay. And in that same vein, it means that they're not just going to put a picture of your product up. They're going to want to have it in their own voice, their own story. Sometimes it may not even be with your product. Is that fair? Yeah. It, I think, you know, think about seasonal stuff. There are going to be a bunch of mommy bloggers writing about back to school. They're not going to write about your specific product. It may make the list of my favorite 10 back to school things. Mm -hmm. And we have to we have to understand it. That's that's the way that it makes sense for that influencer to talk about your product. Right. So it's a it's a little bit of a leap of faith for for a brand to, to do that. Right. Because, you know, traditionally, a lot of marketers are, you know, they want to control the whole message, of course. Um, but this is this is not that you can still have your message, but it's just within somebody else's voice. Yeah. I think what, what you want ultimately is an influencer who's going to work with you and mm -hmm. understand your goals and work to get you there. If all the influencer is doing 
is parroting what you give them. They're probably not someone whose following is authentic and is really interested in what they have to say. So that's interesting. You, you brought up an interesting topic there. So just kind of pause from the now what conversation yep. a little bit. So looking at their audience and looking at how past content has resonated within that audience, it has to do with that authenticity. And I know that that's something that we look at um, quite diligently here. But talk a little bit about the importance of what that means to, to look at if there's interaction and it's authentic interaction and the history of somebody that you're reaching out to, if you would. Let me think about placing an ad. Um, one of the you know one of the key criteria you're gonna use when placing an ad is editorial environment. Is it the right editorial environment? Sure. And that's what you're looking for in in a influencer as well. Is this someone that it makes sense to be talking about my products? Are there is their audience going to this property for this type of information? If it's primarily a food and cooking blog, am I gonna want to put a lawnmower engine on it? Probably not. Right. They may be willing to take my money and do a random post about. Mm -hmm but it doesn't help me as a marketer get my message to the right people. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing outreach to, to, to folks and you're saying, you know what, okay, we've selected maybe 10 or so people we're, we're really interested in, they have a good message, a good following, is one of the things that you look at, we had mentioned reporting earlier, and I just kind of want to circle back to this, is one of the things that you look at um, going to be, can you send me some historical reporting or some, some information that will help me make a decision as to whether or not you'll be a good partner? Yeah, they, the blogger themselves should have a media kit, essentially, mm -hmm. that tells you what kind of what their track record is, not just with visitors, but with the type of content, with engagement, what are their engagement metrics, um, how are they tracking that, mm -hmm. how are they amplifying on social, the whole deal, and mm -hmm. they're they should have a media kit that lays out all, all of this and talks about the type of content. This is the type of content I do. I do giveaways. I do top 10 lists. Mm -hmm. I do tips. Um, I don't do product reviews. I don't, you know, and you mm -hmm. should, we should all understand that. If what we want is a product review. There's probably we, a set of influencers that can do that, exactly. right? Right. Okay. So ratings and reviews is, a, is an interesting one. Influencers can influence, for lack of a better word, ratings and reviews and, and help people, you know, kind of lead into the direction of whether or not something is a positive uh, product experience, product uh, positive brand experience. Is that something that, that you recommend using if, hey, I just, you know what, I just need to get ratings and reviews for my product. Is influencer marketing really the right vehicle for that? If you're looking for quantities, mm -hmm. quantities of ratings and reviews, probably not. Honestly, I think there are other ways to go about um, a ratings and reviews program. And a lot of your retailers, online retailers, will have modules, I think, that you can tap into for that. If you're, so if you're looking for a quantity of ratings and reviews, probably not. If you're looking for a testimonial or two, mm -hmm. absolutely. Great. So testimonials, um, t can you, can you kind of dive into that one a little bit? So how would you go about finding the, the testimonials within an influencer network? Well, I think we would work with influencers who typically do product reviews. Actually, they, you, they have hands-on experience with the products and, and talk about their experience with them. And so they, they then publish the review of your tabletop appliance. And from there, we have the rights to use that content to pull a testimonial from this key food blogger that we've that has a lot of influence and some name clout and repurpose that on our own media boost we talked about you know boost amplifying the post with paid support mm -hmm. we'd certainly want to do that and then um, you know potentially feature that as a spokesperson on some of our earned media our press releases and things like that mm -hmm. so if you had to give um, we're gonna do the elevator speech so picture the elevator doors closing somebody says hey Amy what do you know about influencer marketing that what should I know about influencer marketing um, and, and you've got four floors. What are the top things that, that, a, that a brand marketer should know about influencer marketing? 
I'm going to tell you to think about influencer marketing beyond just an interaction with a single influencer, but think of it as content generation from an outside authoritative voice that you can use across your marketing spectrum. That's pretty good. That got us to floor one. Darn! That, that was fast. <laughs> Super bad. Now we just Do you want me to sit. keep talking? Now we just listen to the music. <laughs> yeah, My no, phone. No, that's good. That, that's great. So, so um, what else? Anything else to add on top of that? I, I think doing it with purpose and intent is key. I think doing influencer marketing for the sake of doing influencer marketing is not a reason to do it. Doing influencer marketing because it is a part of a holistic marketing campaign where there are going to be lots of touch points um, mm-hmm. along that funnel and this is going to be one of them and it has a specific role and purpose, mm-hmm. I think is going to be key. Very cool. Well, what's your favorite influencer campaign? That's a really good one. Yeah, um, I guess, uh, so here's one that I've, I've, it's really a purely earned influencer campaign and it's one that's top of mind for me right now. Super relevant in the news right now and that's the... Um, the ice bucket challenge, right? And so just the, the idea that the funding for some, you know, some what appears to be some pretty significant discoveries in, in genes that uh, that affect ALS, the funding that helped provide that was from the ice bucket challenge and then how the ice bucket challenge started was really an influencer marketing campaign. And, and so some folks had a, a message and they, they um, issued this challenge to their friends and it just so happened that one of those friends had a little bit of celebrity. He was a sports person and had a little bit of celebrity prowess. But it was almost overnight that things started to spread like wildfire. And uh, I remember seeing the, the case study for this. And it was, you know, week one, they took over the Boston area and they got some, some local coverage. And then week two, they started to get some national coverage. And then week three, they had full-blown national coverage and leading into some other countries. And then week four, it was a global phenomenon. And you think about, you know, in four weeks, just from a little bit of messaging that happened to hit the right people at the right time, and then that message spread. Um, boy, talk about an effective a effective use of, of yeah. influencer marketing. And I don't know that it was intentional. You know, I don't know that it was meant to be something that big, but it just became that. And it was because the right people saw it. And like you said, it was a movement. Everybody felt compelled. I know I did. I, you know, I think you did too. Every, yeah. Everybody did the challenge, right? But the amount of money that was raised and, and now what we're seeing in the news in the last uh, week or so is about the, the um, you know, potential, uh, you know, discovery of this gene, that that's pretty fantastic news. I think it's so, a result, right? They, you can yeah, get a direct result, the amount of funding. You can get a direct result. But that was, to me, a, a really um, interesting and significant piece of uh, what I would consider to be influencer marketing, but I don't know that it was intentional. So you raise a really good point. We can't guarantee that all of our programs are going to catch on like wildfire like that. You know, we have goals and we meet those goals and mm-hmm. we're, we're prepared for that. I do think on some level, you need the what if scenario. What if this becomes the ice bucket challenge? Mm-hmm. And what if this goes, are we as an agency, as a marketer, are we prepared to handle that? Like in some cases, whether it's distribution, whether it's website capabilities, mm-hmm. I know, or are we just, you know, are we prepared to parlay any sure. huge success right. into even more? Right. Because we don't want to be caught flat footed. And I think about it campaign we did here at LSB for Briggs and Stratton, our You Powered oh, sure. client. Right. Yeah. Um, we yeah. did a, a beautiful video about a young man in Alabama who mows lawns for the elderly and, um, and disabled, and he does that for free, and he's 
teaching kids how to do it. He had his own social presence. He was an influencer in his own right. He started promoting the video. We were promoting the video. Earned Media picked it up. All of a sudden, this thing, you know, 83 million impressions later, um, and the todayshow.com and all kinds of free, and I'm making mm-hmm. air quotes for your listeners who mm-hmm. can't see me, free media picked it up too. And it was phenomenal. And I think we always have to make sure, and we were prepared for that, and we were prepared to push the video out even more once we saw what kind of traction it was getting and talk to other outlets and how else sure. can we use this. Yeah. And that's something important because there are companies who have been caught flat-footed, whether it's a supply issue, they never had any clue mm-hmm. that... There was going to be this demand for their product right. when they push go on the video or right. what have you. That is an interesting case, and, and, and I'm glad you brought it up. The uh, the idea that we were able to amplify, um, and again, kind of feeding feeding back to the modern marketing campaign, being able to identify those opportunities very quickly, and being able to turn on the the paid support of dollar, you know, putting paid support against some of this earned media coverage. Um, really helps amplify it. So whether it's, you know, promoting a a video or a post or even promoting news that happens. So, you know, like you said, we get picked up in the Today Show. (laughs) How do we amplify that and and that, um, you know, that message out there? That really is the essence of being able to be nimble and react Mm -hmm. to a modern marketing campaign. Because you're right, if you get caught flat-footed, what now, right? What could have been, you know, you you just can't go back and capture that. So so being able to detect that, that's a great example. Well, since you're out of questions, I have one for you. Sure. Um, As a consumer, take off your Toddcast marketing hat, put on your your Todd consumer hat. You're an athlete, you're a dad, you work a demanding job, like other influencers that you listen to. and, And what kind of things do you turn to influencers for as a consumer? I do, yeah, that's a great question. I do a lot of, um, and it's weird because we in the ad ad industry, we know what we're walking into a lot of times, but there are still people that influence influence us and and we know the game and yet we still listen to their opinions. And, you know, I do a lot of um, sports and I do a lot of triathlons and, and that type of environment. And and there are a lot of folks that influence uh, on that respect. So there's whether it's Instagram people telling about just daily workouts or tips and tricks, um, or it's you know Facebook. You know there's this fake triathlon group, and you know people kind of go on and you know we kind of self-deprecate one another and talk about the the really ugly part of, of training for triathlons, and 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 you have this community. Um, but oftentimes there's advice given kind of in between the the funny parts there. Um, so, you know, across the board, there's that. Certainly as a dad, there's a gazillion pieces of uh, or places that I go for input, whether it's friends and family. But it could just be, you know, going out there and finding a funny meme for the day. You know, you got reliable sources to, to do that for sure. But that's, you know, that that's it's always interesting because, like I said, you know the game, but yet you're still pulled in and you still engage with people and you share. And I think that's kind of the, the interesting part about influencer marketing because you know when it's genuine and you know when it's not. And to me, that's the key, authenticity. I know that there are brands out there that I identify with that are trying to sell their bike or their you know their helmets or you know the latest food nutrition and, and things like that. But if they're providing valuable content, I'm willing to engage with those people. And I think that's the interesting perspective that I think we uh, uh, on on our team and, and PR and, and digital and social media we think about is how can we make that better because we we are consumers of that content we want it to be a better experience and so when we come across folks that are struggling with that and they have a really inauthentic message I think it just gets right under my skin and and it makes it you know it makes my skin crawl when I think about you know they could be doing it better and I think that's one of the things that drives me to to, to keep pushing to to make it better out there so now put your marketer hat do you have an I wish I'd done that can't influencer campaign like what what's on your gosh that's such a good idea I wish I'd done that and you can't say I spec a challenge because you already used it yeah so one of my favorites is the 
hard cider. And so this was from Smith and Forge um, in the hard cider. They did this really cool campaign um, where they reached out to, and I saw this in Ad Age and Ad Week, they, they reached out to Thrillist, which is a, a media publication. And so they have this really great website and it's you know great travel and great you know gear and, and things like that. And they have a lot of folks that are on staff that, that write about that. The cool thing about Thrillist is they also make content um, that isn't a blog related content, but video and things like that. And they kind of stitch it all together to make an experience, really that modern marketing campaign. So Smith & Forge partnered with Thrillist to kind of come up with this really big idea where they, they had this hard won kind of line and, and it was all about you know the hard times and you know we, we earned it type messaging. And so Thrillist had a lot of content already and it kind of bundled it all together in this one piece. And the, the centerpiece for, for this was they did a video with this old, uh, it was an old guy, it was actually a young guy dressed as an old guy, he had makeup and all that, and he went out and did the weightlifting thing on uh, Muscle Beach and, uh, you know, got a gazillion views. And I think when I sent it around to folks, it was like, here's the video that got 28 million views in like 12 hours. And I think it's like over 100 million views now on this video. But it was a really, really great example of using an influencer who was this weightlifter and kind of inserting the that that kind of unique way of, of presenting this person in, a, in an interesting environment, some something that caught people's attention, they shared on social media, and then putting paid media right behind uh, that social post. and highly highly targeted campaign to the to the right millennial uh, group and that just amplified and exploded so it was a really really great example of what we call peso where you had paid earned shared and owned kind of all working together to to really create this experience for a brand because we talked about it in the last couple of weeks i was fairly certain you would probably use that example mm -hmm. um and, and and i and i agree with you because the piece that you shared with all of us about that example was an earned media piece in Correct. the marketing trades mm -hmm which a lot of other marketing people were sharing around. Right. So yeah, your example of, of, of that is a peso, you know, mm -hmm. just an ideal, you know, we bought the media, we produced the thing. It right. became, it became something bigger than just a video on a, on a media property. Right. Yeah. I really believe in that model of, of trying to find the most relevant earned media resource that you can to help start the amplification, to start the fire. And I think they did a really good job of that. So like you said, it was, you know, there was these placements that were strategically done in ad week and, you know, other trade-related uh, editorials that, that were done, we know they were done in a way to, to reach the people who are going to share it, right? And that's us. That's that's the marketers of the world who read those publications. And that kind of starts the fire. Meanwhile, you have a bunch of paid going on that's kind of on the, you know, running parallel. And that combination, you just, it's it, it seems to be the magic elixir for um, a modern marketing campaign. If you can get that right, you can do really wonderful things. Okay, I guess that about sums it up. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Amy? No, I think we had a good discussion here. Um, enjoyed some good wine. Hopefully that your listeners got some good advice or insight out of it. I think so. I think this has been great. Thanks again for joining. We'll see you next time on the LSB Marketing Podcast.